the to a ratio. Okay, though. The to a ratio. Okay, though. Oscar night. They say La La Land. And then, you know, people with headsets start scurrying around. And then finally somebody said, no, we didn't win. Moonlight won. Take me through your moment of that, of like sitting there watching these people get their award. And then suddenly you're like, no, actually, it's you. When people started scurrying because of the world we live in, I know Barry and I were anxious more so because we thought there was a threat. We thought people were about to get hurt. Wow. And we were so stunned about by that, like by that, like something is not right here. This people who should know and who have handled us all night are actually concerned and looking worried, right? And especially being from where I'm from, having the trauma that I have, right? That you saw in both Moonlight and in David May's Man, <laughs> right? Like I, I'm like, yo, things like this happen in real life, and it might be happening right now. Um, and so, you know, I don't, it doesn't really click into me that we've won until I'm off the stage. And you can actually look at, if you look at the footage, you'll see me kind of ghost across the stage like, oh, oh, this, like, we're going to be okay. Like, people are safe. It was wildly triggering. I, I really was just nervous for people's safety, mine included. Terrell McCraney is one of the great screenwriters and playwrights of today. He wrote or co wrote Moonlight. That amazing film that won the Academy Award. He wrote and is running David Makes Man, a great series you can catch on OWN and on HBO Max. He's the chair of playwriting at the Yale School of Drama. And I just wanted to talk to him about Moonlight, about David Makes Man, which is this really super powerful show. And about being black, because so much of his work is a really powerful exploration of what, what it means to be a black man in America. This conversation is really powerful. If you're a writer, you got to hear the whole thing. You can get half of this for free. you get the whole thing if you go to patreon.com slash show. Let's dig in. It's Tarrell McCraney on Torre Show. I've been watching David Makes Man, and I want to talk about that, but I want to start with a little more with Moonlight, because that's what more people are familiar with, and then work into David uh, Makes Man. But just with both of these pieces, and High Flying Bird as well, which I loved, um, you take blackness with such seriousness, and you ascribe such dignity to it, and yet the problems and challenges of these people are like, full on, right? So you neither erase the challenges uh, nor, you know, short them of their dignity and their power and their humanity within dealing with the challenges. And I'm just curious if you could just talk a little bit about how you see blackness and how you try to put it on the page in this way that like gives us the problems and the challenges as well as the dignity and the power of these people. Well, thanks, first of all, for having me having me on. And I think one of the things that um, I try to do in just working in general is uh, find a place, make a place, make a space that feels um, 
both celebratory and like joyous work, right? Like I, I think there's communities, uh, I think of art as community space, a space or as a community space making. Um, and that is my a part of my art practice. Um, just trying to make space for us to get together and talk to each other, tell each other stories, engage in stories that feel, um, you know, like puzzles, like that are curious uh, uh, rather than, you know, hammered down with like this, we've got to work through this problem. It's like, yeah, but isn't it more interesting to think of it as a curiosity, like a, something that's been given to us by the heavens and is interesting to look at and, and to focus on. And we've been graced with the time and the patience and the space to look at it. Uh, why not look at it together? Why not in, in engage it together? Why not feel it together? And so the complexity of our existence um, feels at once, you know, kind of awe-inspiring and, and, uh, and there are infinite ways to try to get to the bottom of it or to the core of it or the start of it. And then it also feels like it, it's asking us to just be present with each other, right, mm-hmm. at the same time. And so, um, yeah, that's what I hope that the, the making of the work does. It just gives us space to be at once, but also to reflect and to imagine at the same time. Let's talk about what being Black means to you and how then that applies to the work. I think it, I think being black means that to me, that, that again, there is such a, um, so much, so much complexity and at the same time, so much simplicity, right? Those, those, the sublimeness of being both um, connected to so much beauty, so much um, passion, so much ingenuity, um, and also being connected to um, some of the most <laughs> curious um, uh, uh, problems of our time, right? Because we have been um, both oppressed and uh, both deemed as uh, as uh, or anti as anti blackness can be. Uh, I remember for my first time traveling, ever experiencing that anti blackness operates on so many levels worldwide, right? And so to know that, but also know that um, there's there's so many people wanting to be us, <laughs> wanting mm. to emulate us, wanting to live in this skin. Um, I have an answer to what it means to for others to see me be Black, right? I do know what it means to experience it and want to just be in it, to be still in it um, and not be able to. I'm not often able to just be still in being black. I mean, we're often, again, either probed about, well, what does it mean? Or how, how is it being black right now? It's like, well, I'm in it right now. So I can't necessarily tell you that I'm just trying to be as still in it. And, and you know, as the Bible says, I'm trying to watch and pray, right? Um, I'm trying to be still and know, right? Um, and, and I think that um, I'm often afford, trying to afford myself time and space to to just be in it to reflect in it but also to just be present in it and that's how it translates to the art i think i want to dive into moonlight for a minute um the third i mean it's it's so beautifully written and there's just there's so often like like writers who talk about like the iceberg and like you see part of it but there's all this happening underneath uh the the ocean and 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 there's so much of that, and especially in that final third, um, 
it seems like a very calm, quiet scene. It's just two brothers talking in a diner, but there's so much going on. And even the ending is almost like super quiet for a Hollywood movie, but like it's this powerful punch, but it happens just very elegantly. And if you weren't really paying attention, you'd be like, nothing happened, but like so much happened. Um, I, I feel like, like, you know, the plane, like just touches down on the runway, like so lightly and like, you, the pilot saved all of our lives, right? Um, talk about finding that ending and how it was just so delicate and quiet. I mean, because so much of the film had been oppression, internal struggle, you know, fights. You know, I mean, this. It, 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 when I first see him in the beginning of the third act, I find him a bit of a tragic character. It's like he's been away for so long. He's become this like physically gigantic, this underworld figure. And yet you have him like exploring his internal depths in this beautiful way. Um, talk about what you were trying to do there. Well, to be just a hundred percent transparent, you know, I have, and will continue to um, give credit to Barry Jenkins uh, for the, especially that portion of the movie in general, the entire movie, but that portion in general, I mean, Barry, saw the script and said, hey, I want to, first of all, unbraid this so that it it goes in three chapters. And in this third chapter, I really just want to talk about, I just want to see two brothers talking. I want to see I, all the things you just described, right? And so when he came to me with that, I was like, absolutely. You know, this is this is how the film should end. And this is what it should be. Because the first two portions are, you know, very biographical, especially to my life. And then, and they are full of like a lot of the kind of unrest that sometimes we find ourselves in. And Barry wanted to see what all that unrest could do as it bubbles underneath, um, as you said, the surface of the ocean. It's just calling to these young men to either engage it, to go out and swim in it or not. Right. Um, and echoed by the very beautiful moment of that of that young boy learning how being taught to swim in the first place being taught to just jump in and throw your arms and legs and 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 feel the water around you and so you know Barry knew what he was doing you know he knew that all of that would be there for us in the minds of the folks who and I don't think it you know I mean yes it did a lot of great things in Hollywood but I don't know that it was a Hollywood movie because I think Hollywood would have been like what the hell is going on right as opposed to a lot of people who the people who still come up to me and talk about it talk about, you know, the kind of restlessness at that, that those first two chapters brought up only to be brought more pressing to, again, the presentness of our own lives of going, I've sat in a restaurant in front of that person and had all those things bubbling up and tried to just eat and drink, but not being able to say who I am, where I am, what I want. Um, you know, those things were right underneath the surface, but you know, we just sort of had to sit there, you know, two, two surfaces of, of, of emotion, of feeling, of, of, of depth. And I think that, um, that to me, you know, is, is, is one of, you know, Barry's certainly most intimate gifts to me. I, I told, and I've said that to him often, you know, you, you very beautiful gift. You gave me a chance to life and see how I don't, often take advantage of all that is right underneath. The first two chapters are really autobiographical. A lot of it, yeah. Uh-huh. Because it's 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 a hard story. 
you know, and I know your life hasn't been easy. Um, you know, it's, it's a hard story to watch. For sure. I mean, I think, I think Barry did something incredible. He just, again, there, you know, seeing, seeing, uh, Juan in that movie played by Mahershala Ali, you know, gave me back 20 years of a person I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen in, you know, 20 years, more than 20 years. Um, and now we, and now I have him forever. Um, you know, and celluloid. That's the thing about film. It sort of always is there. Is David Makes Man in some way a continuation of that story? It's not a literal continuation as we see in Hollywood and television doing sequels, prequels, these sort of things. But like, it feels like you are mining similar territory emotionally and socioeconomically and racially. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the sense that it takes place in South Florida and it's about Black men, sure, they're connected. Um, in the sense that there are so many stories about Black men in South Florida that we have, <laughs> that we've yet to get to, that we rarely hear about or see or, or engage, um, that's, where they, that's where the road turns. Um, there's just so many stories about us that often, you know, get swallowed up in the bad boy remakes that I, that I think, you know, we could, we could think they're the same, but they, you know, they're, they're, they're different in that the journeys are just ever so slightly, uh, uh, off. They, I am always, I am interested for sure in the interiority of black people and black, uh, and black queer folk specifically. And so, you know, you will see an artwork, um, be it in the plays that I do, the television shows or the, or the series or the films. I'm just interested in what's going on underneath that isn't being talked about. In in David Makes Man, one of the things that keeps grabbing at me is he's such a man child and he has so much responsibility on him. And yet he's still such a boy dealing with boyish impulses and challenges and not knowing how to deal with the world in a way that a boy would not. But then he is light years ahead of the child that I was asked to be at that age, the child that so many of us, you know, like, I mean, there's no innocence for you whatsoever. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things, uh, uh, Dr. Powell, at, uh, the Yukon health uh, disparity Institute talked about yesterday, talking about David makes man actually is, um, David's ability, uh, or the privilege of being a child, right. The privilege of being a kid, and David's inability to sort of uh, to let go of that kind of um, dream of being a kid. He's like he dreams he dreams of being able to be, you know, just a young person asking a person out on a date to a dance or hanging out with his friends um, and is thrust into these situations where he knows he's being asked to do more than that. Right. And 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 and, t- and shoulder those responsibilities, which is, again, why it's so different than, than, than Moonlight. Moonlight was about a person who was really shy from the off and David just can step into so many positions and he, it's a part of his superpower that he can kind of be this chameleon to jump into all these different places and be accepted for that skin that he's pretending to be in. Um, and then that also gets in the way, right? Like that gets in the, you, when you have to do that all your life, you kind of look around and go, well, who am I actually, right? Who, I can code switch three different ways when I'm speaking in Spanish one moment, um, you know, trying to trying to get some food at this place, but also trying to outdo 
the, you know, the corner boys by talking to them, but also trying to finish my magnet gifted program homework. Who, who, who am I in the middle? <laughs> and when do I get a chance to just be that? Um, and in the second season, we see how that catches up to David as a grown person who is still doing that, who is still, you know, running a three ring circus in his corporate. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that this is it starting to resonate with is like, as I talk to brothers who are, who have made that transition, who had to, you know, uh, be double conscious and uh, triple conscious and, and, and also try to, you know, remain true to who they are at home and true to who they are at the university that they went to on a football or basketball scholarship. And now they en enter into the corporate world and they're like, I'm exhausted. I'm playing all these roles all the time. I'm tired. And I was like that tired, you know, and even myself, I'm like that tired gets to you. At some point you look around and think, yes, I'm successful, but I'm not actually living. <laughs> I'm actually not like I'm, I'm, I'm at this point where I've, I've strived to be the best, but I'm surviving. I'm not living. I'm not, I don't have peace. I don't have calm. I don't have this moment where I can just be and, and know it and, and, and be still in that. And I think so that's what uh, the series is, is striving to question, to ask, asking us, you know, does it, do you have to work all the time? Do you have to stay ready? Right. And why? Right. We know in, in our society, we are rewarded by doing that, but we have to work every moment of our lives in order to be counted as human. Well, if you're if you're going to do that, then when do you actually get to be counted as counted? Right. When do you actually get to be human? I mean, it seems so American and so modern, like work all the time. I think about like Puffy had it like painted on the wall, like I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? Like I get up early, I stay up late, I grind constantly, I never stop working. And that's like honored in modern America. And like, if you are not busy, you are whack, right? And like, even at the working class scale, we're working two, three jobs, overnight shift, you know, run home, you know, make a plate for the kids and rush back to McDonald's where like, damn, like, are we, are we living to work and not working to live? And I mean, like, you know, the, our African brothers and sisters would laugh, like, like, you know, you, you, where's your life? You know, we're like, yo, we're American grinding, bam, like we're working our lives away. And for who, and for who, and for what, like, what, what is it? I mean, what do we attain by doing, I mean, again, Working, if you, there is a moment where, especially when you love what you do and you get rewarded for it, um, you seem to think that like, this is all I need to do consistently, constantly. And so you start learning that as, at a young enough age, but then like things like your body give out, right? So what happens when you're, you're, when all you know is you're a football player, all you know is you're a basketball player, or all you know is that you, you know, are a track runner, or a ballet dancer, or whatever it is. And it, at some point, you, you have to stop. And then you have to look around and look back over your life, as, as the elders would say, and think things over. And you see what? You see, you see what have you, you, the, things that, the things that you've amassed, are they also the intimate relationships you've always wanted? Are you able to be the father you want to be? Are you able to be the gift to your community that you always wanted to be? Um, and I, again, I'm not saying that to anybody else but myself. So I'm bringing those questions. I bring those questions right to in the piece of going like, yo, am I, am I the man of my community that I want to be the person who like has time and space and grace 
for things or am I always so busy that I can't pay attention to what's in front of me? We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. You've succeeded now in television and movies, and I wonder, and obviously in playwriting as well, um, I, I feel like in a movie you can go deeper into an individual character. In television, the character, you spend a lot more time, you as the writer spend a lot more time with the character. You have to create many, many more hours of content, but the character must grow, say, horizontally rather than vertically, perhaps, right? As opposed to a movie, the character is going to grow deep, right? And then we finish the story. I mean, or just how do you see it, like the different challenges of dealing with character in a television context versus in a movie? Well, I think it, I, I, you're, you're hitting on the, the, the awesomeness of 
these mediums, which is, you know, one has, you know, I got you for 90 minutes versus before 10 episodes, right? Um, they all actually end up being around similar timing, depending on how much, how much, you know, how much movie you're willing to sit through, right? But I find in episodics, you get to you get to see different factions of a character. So I think of it as circular. I think you get to see a 360 version. You get to see this side of, of David, you get to see that side of David. And we can keep panning around this person. In fact, one of our directors, Erica Watson, uh, has a signature 360 camera move that she does. Again, you get to see all these aspects of David. And sometimes when you come around David's shoulder, he's completely different than when you were over his right shoulder, right? Um, and I think that that's the part that's thrilling to me about um, about working on this show in particular. But yeah, there are many ways to, to work in the series. Um, but this one in particular, it's exciting because again, we get to, we do get to do some depth, but we also just get to do those side turns. And I think, you know, you have said in your work many times, there are just different, as- there's so many ways of being black. And if you're not, you know, <laughs> if you're not allowing them um, all in the room, then, you know, you're, anti-black you know what I mean? like yeah, there's just, it's yeah. just and so it's, yeah. it's one of those way one of the things that's really thrilling is watching david and the and the and just the multitudes that he contains right um and and that are that scared the shit out of him right like he's like being like oh shit i'm i'm also this person and i have to accept that and understand that and also i'm still that 15 year old who struggled to get here is still present right now and wants to be feel secure um and i'm trying to ignore him but he's making me do stuff that makes me feel more secure so i'm i'm lashing out in ways because i still have this part of me that needs to be satiated or feel secure or safe so you've succeeded as a playwright so which is great because you get to see the audience right the television and the movie creator don't really get to see the audience in the same way right not while you're making the thing or you're doing the thing and I would thank God. Well, I wonder, like, if I have cons- committed to seeing your movie, right? I've paid X amount. I'm sitting in the theater. Highly unlikely I'm going to leave, right? Like, like once I'm five minutes in, I'm probably going to stick this out. Even I'm like, yo, this movie kind of sucks. Like, but we've come this far. Television, right? There's a thousand other options at any given moment. So I might like, like, I'm tired of where this is going. I'm, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Do you think about that in creating television? Like you have to be a little bit more of a showman and like, I got to make sure that I keep you. I got to make sure I keep you through this episode. I got to make sure I keep you wanting to go to the next episode. Well, we're on, we're on uh broadcast net. We're on, you know, broadcast t- uh, cable TV. So we, we're on a network that has commercials. So you have to remember that I have to make sure that when you get up to get nachos during the commercial, you come sit back down, you're like back with us or like while you're still in the kitchen and you've been there too long and you have to hear something on the TV that goes, Oh snap, let me go back and watch TV. So, you know, I think, you know, there are thrilling challenges um, to that. And I think I accepted them and wanted them fully when we, when we, um, when we met with own, and and Miss Winfrey asked us to come come aboard and be you know be in the in in the number with things like Queen Sugar and we I think one of the things that was interesting to me is that you know talking to people who are going to be home with their family doing other stuff and we could be right there either in the background or in the foreground in that conversation and feel you know a part of it and not not outside of it. What is it like talking 
to Oprah. <laughs> so, I don't, so it's a little bit different. I mean, I, I am learning, you know, many things from her um, business savvy to her grace and her opportunity, but also, you know, the fact that she affords me so much uh, space and um, uh, to work is, is, is humbling. Um, so that's what it's like. It's a humbling experience to be like, oh, you trust me to do this work. I'm going to give it my best. As yeah, like, you're a writer. I want you to go a little deeper. A friend of mine worked on Django Unchained. Hmm. And I was like, yo, what's it like being around Quinn Tarantino? And he was like, Tarantino is more free than like anybody else that I've worked with, right? And like, you know, when you've had that much success, that much money, it's like, yo, I can really do anything. And I feel like Oprah is like that. Like she is really, really free. And like, I do whatever I want. And it almost always works out because I'm just, you know, that. Uh, do you, do, do you, does that seem accurate? Do you get that sense from her? No. I think I think she I think the person who launches shows like, uh, you know, uh, what happened to me or what happened to you is authentic. I think that person oh, absolutely. Who is still. No, but I'm just saying that's the person who you meet, a person who is curious, a person who is genuinely interested in like. Who is in them and also at the same time, deeply introspective and trying to like live a balanced and, and inquisitive life. Um, and like funny, you know what I mean? Fun is self-deprecating, funny, um, you know, and, 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 and very, you know, you can just say like, once she gets that laser focus on you and starts, like, she'll start asking questions and you're like, Oh, okay. I mean, there's an investigative reporter there. Right. And so that, that hasn't, that doesn't go away. And I think, you know, to me, I've all, I, that's one of the things that, took me by surprise. Once she locks on to, you know, when we, when we pitched this, she locked into it. She's like asking you all the questions from every angle. So what does that character do? How many times did they do that? When did that? Okay. So they're from what, what time, when, like, you know, and you just need to be either ready for it. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from tenderfoot tv campside media and iheart podcasts radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free 
on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Or just say, I don't know, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. Because she's, she's looking for, she's trying to, she's radical in that she's trying to get to the root of it. Well, she's absolutely the best interviewer working in America today without a, the way she does it, the questions she asks, the, the, the Meghan Markle interview, I'm still like, like, just there you are again, like the Michael Jordan of interviewers, were you silent <laughs> or were you silenced? And I'm like, ah, I love you so much. Let me go back to Moonlight for one second. Okay. And I know others have asked you this, but please indulge me. Sure. Oscar night. La, they say La La Land. And then, and you know, I'm sure you're like a little disappointed, but I imagine you probably were like, we ain't gonna win this. Like what? Like we, we, we good, but we ain't gonna win this shit. And then, you know, people with headsets start scurrying around. And then finally somebody said, no, we didn't win. Moonlight won. And there was like, the the audience was kind of like, is that a joke? And the guy had to say, this is not a joke. So take me through your feelings and your your moment of that, of like sitting there watching these people get their award and then suddenly you're like, no, actually, it's you. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to remember, first of all, that I've, I was, before this, had never been invited to anybody's Academy Award for nothing. So, like, I was like, it was my first time. I got on a white suit. I don't want to shit, spill shit on it. Like, that's where I am. Um. And by the time by the time you get to uh, Best Picture, you had we had won, I believe, you know, at least three categories of the Academy Award. So Barry and I are sitting there with an Academy Award for this thing, and Mahershala has an Academy Award, so we're all happy. And Naomi was nominated, and so you know we're excited about it. And there's like there's glee and happiness going around, and we're thinking, you know. We were nominated for Best Picture and whoever wins Best Picture, we've been with these people for about six months now, around, going around the country and the world, talking to them, seeing them on, on tour as well. So it's at this point, it's sort of like, that's great. Who, whoever wins, we just, I'm actually hungry because we've been here for three hours and we haven't, <laughs> haven't eaten. Yet. I want to eat. Um, and, you know, when people, when people started scurrying because of the world we live in, uh, I know, I know Barry and I were, were anxious more so because we thought there was a threat. We thought people were about to get hurt. Wow. Um, and that, and we were so stunned about, by that, like, by that, like something is not right here. This people who should know and who have handled us all night are actually concerned and looking worried. Right. And especially being from where I'm from, having the trauma that I have, right? That you saw in both Moonlight and in David Maceman, <laughs> right? Like I, I'm like, yo, things like this happen in real life and it might be happening right now. Um, and so, you know, I don't, it doesn't really click into me that we've won until I'm off the stage. And you can actually look at, if you look at the footage, you'll see me kind of ghost across the stage. Like, oh, oh, this, like, we're going to be okay. Like people are safe. Right. All right. Okay. And so, you know, I think I, I missed most of it because I was in panic. I was in survival. It's like, what do we need to do to make sure everybody's okay? Like, are all of our people cool? You know, I'm looking for Andre Holland, who is like one of my best friends. I've, I've known Dre for like, you know, going on 20 years. I, I love Dre. And I'm looking around thinking like, are you okay? Are you good? Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Who is, like, where are my people? Are they all right? Um, and, and so, yeah, I think 
that sadly that's mostly what's going on in my mind i also am thinking like okay if it is if it, if we have one let's get off the stage before they before they change their minds like before anything else happens let's just you know and so you know i i, I also know that that triggering it it was it, it was wildly triggering i i really was just nervous for people's safety mine included for your safety i mean what, at what point did the joy kick in of like six months actually- later <laughs> <laughs> honestly six months later because i i think the joy of the joy of winning an academy award for uh uh adaptation and writing was sort of thrilling and like you know we looked out and people stood up and like you know people who i we'd watched all our lives and we shook hands with you know meryl streep and denzel washington is telling me stories about miami and I'm um, on the way down and like I'm following, you know, all these people that, you know, just there's there's that was thrilling and amazing. And I think I was filled with a kind of sense of like, rep, like, that's one of the times I was like, yo, I I, fe- I now know what like a basketball team who like wins for their home team, you know, <laughs> feels like because I was like, yo, I got, a, I got a thing. And it's, for, you know, it was about Miami. Right. Which, is, I, you know, I'm third generation Miami. So it makes it. It makes a thing. And I was like, I know that they're screaming and they're happy right now. Right. So I was all in that. And, but that moment at the end was, will always live in my mind as a moment of deep, like, like you can, I, I, I promise you, every time someone brings it up, I'm like, nope, I was there and it was triggering. For more from me and Terrell, join us over at patreon.com slash Torrey show. Thank you so much to Terrell for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, Earl Dorsey, Theotokis, and Warren West. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.